This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest of my podcast this week is Peter Voss, founder, CEO, and chief scientist at iGo AI. We started yeah. with a brain. I mean, this was really my motivation of initially starting the AI, my AI company in 2001. Yeah was not to build a chatbot per talks. se. Yeah. The motivation was to build an intelligent machine, you know, an intelligent system, a system that can learn and reason and understand and remember and, and so on. So that was the starting point. And then we say, okay, we have a brain. What do we want to use this brain for? Do we want to put it into a robot to help, you know, yeah. run the robot? You know, or do we want to use it for conversation or do we want to use it for, you know, I don't know, image recognition, put it, help it, help it to drive a car or something. And, you know, as I said, we decided that the best path forward for us was to focus on conversation. This is Peter. He's a serial entrepreneur, an engineer, an inventor and a pioneer in artificial intelligence. He coined the term AGI, artificial general intelligence, with fellow luminaries in this space. He started in electronics engineering, but then fell in love with software. His first major success was developing a comprehensive ERP package and then taking that company from zero to 400 people IPO in seven years. Fueled by the fragile nature of software, he embarked on the journey 15 years ago, studying what intelligence is, how it develops in human and the current state of AI. And this research culminated in the creation of a natural language intelligence engine that can think, learn and reason, and then adopt to and grow with the user. He founded AIGO in July 2017, where he is now focused on commercializing the second generation of their AGI-based conversational AI technology. And the most simple way to explain what the product is about is this, it's a chatbot with a brain. So what does this mean? It remembers what was said before. It can learn interactively. It has a deep contextual understanding. It can reason and explain itself. The result, it finally makes meaningful ongoing conversations with technology possible. And that inspired me. And hence I invited Peter to my podcast. We explore what's broken in the world of chatbots and why conventional approaches can only bring us so far. We then explore what can be, i.e. What potential is ahead of us if we take a different approach? Peter further talks about the challenges that he faced and how he overcame them through sheer perseverance. And by listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, that the more human our software becomes, the less friction in adoption we'll experience. Secondly, that staying true to our vision and aiming to be different, not just better, will give us initial pushback, but will then help us overcome our biggest hurdles. Thirdly, that true innovation is not about embracing the latest shiny technology, but more about solving meaningful problems in a remarkable way. And fourthly, how to overcome the trap of losing all your resources and energy on building table stake features to overcome sales bottlenecks, thereby risking that you lose your biggest sales argument, namely your edge. Well, hi, Peter. Thank you for making the time today and be a guest on my podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I talked to one of your colleagues, one of your co-founders, Srini, 
and he told me a lot about Igo, Igo AI, and how it was. What is the thing you're doing there? So we're going to dig into that and discuss what is the big idea behind the company and you know, what will happen to the world if we get if it starts mm-hmm. to adopt it. But before we do so, I would like to get a little bit more about uh, more insight about you. So if, if you would have to describe yourself as an entrepreneur, what would be the words to use? Well, I'm as much of a sort of researcher, inventor, you know, I mean, my title is chief scientist and CEO in the company. So I really love both sides of business, you know, the very technical side and, you know, inventing, discovering, building technology, but I also very much enjoy running a company. That's good. That's an interesting one. Well, I see a lot of tech entrepreneurs that I have on my podcast that start from a technology background. And then, of course, someone needs to own it and drive the company forward. So you get to learn both, I would say. And yeah, that's how businesses start to grow by by falling and standing up and doing it better. So talking about your company, Igo, I think there's a little bit of a story beyond uh, before that. But what is the big idea? What was the problem that you saw that had to be solved? Let me go back a little bit in time. So I started out as an electronics engineer, started my own company and fell in love with software. And my company turned into a software company. I developed an ERP software package and the company, we did quite well. We went from zero to 400 people and an IPO based on you know the strengths of the software. So when I exited that company, I sort of had enough time time and money on my hands to say, okay, what do I really want to do? And looking back, what really struck me is how dumb software is. I'm very proud of my software. I was very proud of the software, but you know, it was better than our competitors. But still, if the programmer didn't think of something, then it would just get some error message. You know, it, they really didn't have any common sense. So the problem that I really wanted to understand and solve is how can we make software more intelligent? How can we give it common sense? How can it learn? How can it reason? You know, how can it really have intelligence? And, and of course, that directly leads to artificial intelligence, you know, to a field of artificial intelligence. But I took a bit of a detour because I really felt I needed to understand intelligence in much greater depth to be able to build intelligent systems. So yeah. I actually took off five years to study epistemology, theory of knowledge, you know, various aspects of philosophy, cognitive psychology, what is IQ? What is it measured? Is, is it valid? You know, how do children learn? How does our intelligence differ from animal intelligence? You know, really a very broad spectrum of understanding intelligence. And of course, to see what pe- other people had tried to do in, in AI. So really the mission I've been on for the last 25 years is to build intelligent systems, intelligent software And that's ultimately what, you know, I'm all about, what the company is all about. Now, of course, it's a very, very difficult problem. You know, many people have spent their whole careers trying and failing on that. So over the years, over the last 20 years, we've basically alternated between having research development companies and commercial companies to move this technology forward. And Igo AI is basically a company I started seven years ago. And for the first five years, it was a development company just focusing on the technology so we wouldn't get distracted by customer engagements. And then about two years or so ago, we decided to go commercial. And that's what, what we're doing now in conversational AI. So yep. it's to provide much more intelligent conversations, artificial intelligent conversations. So that's what we're doing. But ultimately, we on you know it's bringing more and more intelligence to machines to software. Fascinating. So yeah, that's exactly the next question I had. Like, what does it do? And it's about conversational AI. Why did you pick the topic of conversational AI? Well, actually, my first R&D company in AI, which I started in 2001, we actually built a virtual robot in a virtual environment, so a virtual critter in a virtual environment, because I thought it was important for intelligence to also interact with the world and, you know, to have senses and to be able to interact with the world. So we spent probably the first two or three years, you know, working with a virtual robot and 
During that time, I really came to the conclusion that we could make faster progress by first focusing on, on language, on language interaction, because doing vision and doing robotics is, is really hard. And for many aspects of intelligence, that's not really required. So that's why we decided to focus on language. And then my first commercial company in the AI field, Smart Action, does call automation, you know, voice, voice calls, the things that we hate when we call into a company and we have to talk to a robot and press one for this and it doesn't understand you. So Smart Action offers a much better technology for that. And now with Igo AI, we're actually focusing on text conversations because they've become much more prominent these days. Okay, so you switched from, from understanding voice or well, listening to voice conversations to doing this more on input on, through, for example, on, on text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll be offering you know voice interactions as well, but our initial focus is is on text right now because you know that just a lot more people text you know and are comfortable texting and actually prefer yeah, I mean, texting. Is that is that the case? Because what I was I recently I'm not sure where I saw the research or heard about it, but at the end, chatbots, of course, that's that's a, a big a big hype and a big wave of growth these days, but it's still appears that there's only a fraction of the companies really using chatbots to, to deal with, for example, customer communication. And the majority of, of people are still calling the, the organization. So you would expect that that's the area where the, the big opportunity is. Well, yes and no. So it's true. The majority of, of interactions are still by voice, but that's changing. It's basically growing. Text interactions are, are growing. You know, they're increasing relative. So they're taking a bigger and bigger percentage of, okay. of the pie. As you know, the you know, younger people tend to prefer to text. It's just like, okay, let me just text. Now, obviously, one of the things that's holding it back is that most of the technology that's available out there on texting is not very good. So, you know, then people will, will just phone. But that's true as well for voice interaction, automated voice systems. You know, most of them are still pretty awful. So, you know, the technology needs to improve. But yes, definitely text channel is taking a bigger and bigger share of customer interactions. You know, people can do it sort of asynchronously. You can, you know, you can, you're not going to be hanging onto a phone and you can't put the phone down or you're on speakerphone, but you, you know, Whereas with text, okay, you know, if it, you know, if it takes five minutes for somebody to respond to a question, well, okay, fine, you're busy doing something else anyway. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I, I realize that, of course, chatbots have been growing fast, and you're making a, a correct point there that not everybody loves them because they are stupid. <laughs> so mm-hmm. right. you don't you don't get a real conversation going. What will the world look like, or what is the opportunity if you get this right? If the technology that we are communicating with starts to communicate with us as if it was someone at an equal intelligent level. Right. Well, we are getting it right. <laughs> so <laughs> we we have, you know, the way we describe it is a chatbot with a brain. And that's really the big yeah. difference that we have this cognitive engine that can have a much deeper understanding, can it remembers what you said earlier, it can reason about things, you know, at disambiguate. So you can, you can have a much better conversation. Having said that, we're still a long way from human level, you know, understanding and common sense. So we keep moving in that direction. Now, as our technology becomes better and, and better, you know, people will just simply prefer that channel because there are actually many advantages to it. A, there's no, there's no wait time, you know, whereas pretty much sure. chat, even chatbots, you you have wait time, you have delay for people responding. The other big advantage is it can be hyper-personalized to you. So it's like calling into your bank or your insurance company or where, whatever you, you need to, whoever you need to interact with, and you're talking to the same person who remembers you. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? You know, it's like you're like, okay, I guess if you billionaire or you know then you probably have your concierge banker or you know who knows you and remembers all everything about you but that's basically you can then offer that to every single customer where the intelligent chatbot igo chatbot will remember you will remember what you called for last time and can even anticipate what you might you may be calling for and that'll be a much much better experience so that's kind of a stepping stone we see that enterprise will offer these 
hyper-personalized intelligent chatbot, you know, these concierge chatbots and people will prefer to deal with them than to, you know, talk to a human or, or, or use another channel. But then increasingly people will want to have that as their own personal assistant. Yeah, true. So where the company isn't owning it, but it's yours, you own it. And we call that that idea personal, personal assistant, PPA. And the reason we double up on the personal, in fact, it should be personal, 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 is the three different meanings of the word personal. So the first meaning is you own it, it's yours, it's your personal property. So, you know, you control it, you own it, and it serves your purpose, not some mega corporation's agenda. Yeah. This, the second personal is that it's personalized, it's customized to you. It knows about you, it knows your history, it knows your preferences, and, and, and so on across a broad range of your life. And the third personal is that it's private, that it protects your information and only shares things with whom you want to share things with. So that's kind of what we see ultimately people wanting to have their own personal chatbot. And it really becomes like an extension of your mind, an exocortex. Exactly. You know, it's, it's sort of the promise of Siri. I mean, Siri was really a game changer when the, the idea of being able to have a personal assistant on your phone that you can talk to and can do stuff for you, you know, that concept and the quality of the speech recognition was, you know, made this sort of feasible. Unfortunately, Siri also doesn't have a brain. So, you know, it's just very limited in, in that. But if you, if you had something like, you know, we see in the movies or people really would expect a personal assistant to be able to do, then that'll be awesome. I mean, and, you know, not will only it'll it'll be a helper for you. It'll help you an assistant, but it can even be like a little angel on your shoulder, you know, and and help you That's make better part, make, yeah. make better decisions in life, you know. That's exactly exactly the reason why I started this podcast. I mean, it's the compelling stories about the value that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. So to mm -hmm. allow people to do things they've never been able to do before. And like you say, it's the things that we know about chatbots and about the, the voice assistants that we currently see, the, you know, the Googles, the Siris, the Alexas, you can, well, you can talk, you can ask them something and they respond back and hopefully they, they understand what you're saying. Right. But I agree, I agree. They don't remember, they don't reason, they don't, it doesn't become a conversation. And, exactly. Uh, they, they one shot. It's basically a stimulus response. You know, you say something. And then they go through like a categorizer and it says, oh, you, you want Uber or you want the weather yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And that's the extent of it, you know, and then they exactly. execute, they get the weather for you and tell you the weather or they might ask you, well, where do you want to go? But yeah, there's no history, no conversation, no that's understanding. Yeah. yeah. So if you ask them, I would like to go to the same place as last time, it will go horribly wrong. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very interesting, I mean, that you take the shot, the moonshot almost, yeah, to make this come alive. I mean, I remember the, the time when I was still watching Knight Rider and Kit was mm -hmm. right. kind of making that, making that belief that it is possible. And mm -hmm. of course, up till now, it's, it hasn't been. That's very interesting. I'm always interested, of course, around, yeah, I mean, the, the journey of, of creating this. You told me that you started, uh, I, I go seven years ago, five years in stealth mode, developing, developing, and in that time, of course, the chatbots and the voice assistants were growing exponentially. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I have stopped counting how many chatbots there are these days, but at least a couple of thousand. So it's possibly very hard to compete in such a space. And what I'm always interested in is what did you do different to in your product decision and product strategy decisions to create something that has defensible differentiation? Yes, I mean, that's very easy. You know, again, and a sort of slogan is a chatbot with a brain. You know, the hundreds of companies or thousands of companies offering chatbots, none of them have a brain. So it's, it's you know, it's actually very, very simple. They don't have, a, they don't remember what you said two sentences ago, never mind what you said last week, you know. They don't have deep understanding. They don't have reasoning. They don't use context. So you really can't have a meaningful conversation. There's no personalization. You know, it's really like day and night, you know, it's, there's, there's a, a huge difference. Now, of course, the challenge we have as a relatively small company is to, you know, to convince people that, well, how can you do something that 
IBM Watson can't do or that Google, yeah. you know, Google Duplex can't do or whatever, you know, companies throwing billions and billions of dollars. True. You know, Alexa, they employ, I believe, 10,000 people working on Alexa, you know, and yet they can't do it. So, you know, it's, it's convincing people that, yes, we fundamentally have a different approach, a different technology approach. Exactly. And that allows us to do things that the other chatbots can't do and can't possibly do. Is there any well, secret sauce? I would say, well, maybe the secret sauce, but what was, I mean, if you, if you take a split in the roads, what was the road that you took where they took the other side? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's very easy. Again, chatbot with a brain. We started yeah. with a brain. I mean, this was really my motivation of initially starting the AI, my AI company in 2001 yeah. was not to build a chatbot per talks. se. The motivation was to build an intelligent machine, you know, an intelligent system, a system that can learn and reason and understand and remember and, and so on. So that was the starting point. And then we say, okay, we have a brain. What do we want to use this brain for? Do we want to put it into a robot to help, you know, yeah. run the robot, you know, or do we want to use it for conversation or do we want to use it for, you know, I don't know, image recognition, put it, help it help it to drive a car or something. And, you know, as I said, we decided that the best path forward for us was to focus on conversation. So it's really, we started with intelligence. We started yeah. with the brain and then said, okay, we can use this to, to hold a, a meaningful conversation. And that's really the fundamental difference. Whereas everybody else started off with, we need a chatbot, you know, or we need an IVR, interactive voice response, you know, the thing when you call in and you press one or two or three. And basically what they do is the obvious thing you do is you start off with some kind of a flowchart thing. You know, you say, okay, the thing say, hello, how are you? You know, whatever, what can I help you with? That's if they're intelligent. Otherwise they say press one for sales, press two for returns, you know, and press three for customer service. Exactly. It's, you know, it's basically a, they design a flowchart and you have to follow the flowchart, you know, and, and, and that's it. And that's really how, you know, the chatbots work. Let me make a small interruption here. Peter just explained the essence of what gives his company defensible differentiation. They didn't start to build a chatbot company. They started their journey in a radically different way, not to automate non-value-adding repetitive tasks, but with the ambition to build a brain. And that approach enabled them to apply their technology in a range of domains. One of them was to focus on conversations and doing that not only at the scale we know chatbots can, but what is far more valuable, doing it in a way that's most meaningful to the human being. It's a typical example of a trait that defines the software companies we keep talking about. They aim to be different, not just better. And with that, they create something valuable and desirable. You can master these traits as well. I have two options for you to start. First, read or listen to my book, The Remarkable Effect. You can find that on Amazon.com. Secondly, get into action right away and surround yourself by a group of like-minded people, tech founders and CEOs that will help you remove your blind spots, explore new paths and sharpen your thinking. How? Just visit valueinspiration.com and see the videos where many of your peers share their experiences with our tribe and what they have come to value most. Back to the interview. Now, what has made Siri possible and has given chatbots the ability where you, you, know, you can design a chatbot today, even without a brain, where you can say, how can I help you? And it can categorize from many different utterances that you might make. So, you know, for example, a bank might have a chatbot where that can understand maybe a few hundred different intents, you know, where yeah. it says, I, I lost my credit card, you know, or I've moved or whatever. And it can then either connect you to the right person or send you to a website or give you like an FAQ answer or, you know, do, sure. do something for you. The deep learning, machine learning revolution that, you know, we've seen uh, really in the last decade, last, you know, eight, nine years has made that possible. The, the, the categorization that you can have sort of, you know, a, a wide variety of different utterances that can be, that can then trigger one response. And, you know, but that's, there's still no brain, but that to sort of move the technology yeah. forward. 
because they verticalize it, they can far more focus on the use case and, and do a far better job at that. I completely agree with that. I know a couple of companies that are part of my tribe that are in that range. But it's an interesting one that you say, well, well yeah, the how you start it and then once you created the intelligent machine, the, the, mm-hmm. the real, the, yeah, the brain almost, then you mm-hmm. started to say, okay, where can we apply this best? Completely different approach, almost starting with the outcome in mind rather than yeah, the, the other way around. So it's available right now. You got customers, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We have several large customers and we're focusing right now on large enterprise customers who, yeah. you know, are either dissatisfied with their current chatbots, which is yeah. pretty much everyone. Or, you know, they haven't yet implemented chatbots and are looking for the right technology. But majority of big customers have implemented them or tried to implement them. Many have tried and given up and thrown them out. So we're kind of in a good place when we talk to them because they understand the limitations of the current technology. And they, you know, clearly are skeptical about, you know, our ability to overcome those limitations. But, you know, we could obviously demonstrate to them of what yeah. our system is capable of. So, yeah, that's, that's our focus right now. And it has been commercially available for the last 18 months. Okay. So what is the biggest learning from the selling process? Because, I mean, one of the, one of the entrepreneurs that are part of my tribe said that kind of the biggest challenge that we're dealing with is the disbelief that this is really possible. They're in a different game, by the way. But I can imagine that when you see got your expectations here and then right. you see something that actually takes it there that you say, right. this is, this is <laughs> dreaming. Yeah, I, yeah I, I tell you what the challenges are in selling. There are a couple of them. I, I mentioned already the fact that we are a small company is clearly a challenge, you know, that, okay, you know, surely, you know, Google or IBM was, you know, would, should be able to do a better job than what, what you can to a small yeah. team. So, you know, so there are obviously good reasons. I mean, we've seen this many times in technology where it's really a small company that starts it. I mean, look at Google. You know, when Google started, I was one of the early users. I mean, people said, how can this little upstart possibly compete against the existing search engines? You know, you've got to be kidding, you know. Or Amazon, when they started, you know, how can they possibly compete against the big book resellers, you know, I mean, you see that again and again, you know, big companies go down a certain path and then, you know, it it requires really fundamentally new thinking to overcome that. So that's the one clear objection. The other challenge we have is, you know, obviously people are quick to sort of say, well, give me your chatbot and let me play with it. And the problem with that is if you don't have a particular outcome in mind, if your outcome is to kick tires and see how you can break it, you'll break it very quickly. Sure. Because, you know, we don't have a chatbot that has human level intelligence and knows all sorts of subjects of what you might might want to do. For it to be effective, it needs to be integrated into the enterprise. You know, it needs to know about their business rules, their products, it needs to, you know, be connected to your to the databases and so on to really be useful. Because if you want to, you know, answer questions, it needs to, you know, have all of that, that context. And that obviously takes some effort to set that up for a company to do that integration. So there is that certain, you know, effort that has to go in, which is the quite substantial on our side and on the customer side. It's not just something you can, you know, go to a website, click a, click a few buttons and then, oh, okay, it's all there and integrated. So, you know, that's kind of a challenge. And related to that is when people look at our, our demos, when we demonstrate, you know, even with existing customers or demos that we have, obviously we show IGO at its best. And at its best, IGO seems like, human, like a human, you know, in fact, even better than a human, because it can give answers that quickly and, you know, give you really good information and suggest things and and so on. So it's very difficult for people to then not fall into the trap and expect human level intelligence. And we really aren't anywhere near human level intelligence. We can be very good in a particular domain that the system has been taught you know it has it has the ontology it has the background knowledge for that particular domain and it can be at human level within that or maybe not at human level because you can still throw curveballs but you know it can it can do a really good job within that domain but has to be taught 
you know, for that domain. So it's it's basically setting the expectations. You know, if Siri and Alexa and and Watson have an IQ of fifteen, not not that IQ is the right measure, you know, and we're at thirty or thirty five. That's still a long way from yeah. human. You know, if you had a human with an IQ of thirty five, well, you wouldn't you wouldn't employ <laughs> them as a <laughs> as an assistant. So it's you know, it's basically fine-tuning the expectations, you know, of what it can do and what it can't do. Understood, yeah. I mean, throughout your career or throughout kind of running IGO, what has been the biggest obstacle to overcome? Well, there have been diff- different things along the way. Actually, you know, I funded the company based on, you know, my previous companies that I sold and yeah. so initially. But raising money for our technology has actually been quite hard because because we're using fundamentally different technologies. So, yeah. you know, people get very excited about it and then they call in their AI experts and the AI experts say, well, they aren't doing deep learning, machine learning. They aren't doing what everybody else is doing. So I don't understand this. This can't work, you know. If it could work, surely the big companies would be doing it, you know. So, so you know, that has actually been quite a challenge. Now, of course, as we are now commercializing and showing results, this is changing. But the technology itself is kind of, you know, hard to sell. But apart from that, you know, it's it's been, we have an awesome team, obviously hiring people, certain people, there's, there's always a shortage, there's a challenge. Sure. But, you know, yeah. nothing out of the ordinary, one of the, benefits we have in hiring people is that once people understand what we're doing, they're super excited. And we have many people in our company who said, I never thought there was a company like this that was doing real real AI and, you know, that I could actually work on this. So that's an advantage we have in hiring, you know, that people say, okay, I could get a better paying job at Facebook or Google, but I'd be working just on another set of advertising optimization you know or yeah. something is that really what i want to spend my life doing you know True. yeah yeah i mean i write in my book about this that remarkable software companies aim to be different not just better and i mean what i mean what your, your example about the vcs and, and the funding rounds that you could, were just looking for something that was just slightly slightly a bit better than what's already on the market but, and then co- be able co- to reference to this. correct they can under, they can understand that you know and yeah. but so, I mean, from all the learnings that you've taken from there, what has been, has there been a, a regret that you say, hey, I would do, if I would known before, I'd do it different this time? Yes, there is. And, you know, one of the things sort of related to that is when I decided that IGO AI was ready to now commercialize, I was specifically looking for a partner in the business to, you know, take care of sales and marketing and, and so on. And, you know, I was very lucky to find Threeny as a partner in the company. And I think that was kind of a a big breakthrough. Now, in terms of regrets in my, the first generation of the technology that we commercialized in Smart Action, and that was starting in 2008 is when we commercialized the first generation of our technology. I never got that kind of partner into the business on the sales and marketing side. So that was much more of a struggle than I would have liked it to be, you know. That really was a struggle. So I I should have put more effort into finding the right person to help me with that because, you know, while I'm very happy to be involved with customer interaction and sales, in fact, I love it, I can't both look after all of the engineering and running the company and also running a sales team, or at least that's not, not the ideal. Yeah. So that was kind of a regret or mistake. And Related to that is that in Smart Action, all of our energy ended up going into building a data center, you know, dealing with scalability, redundancy, security, you know, all of those important engineering issues that you need to to provide a SaaS service. But it sucked all of the energy out of the company that we we actually, our development of IQ came to a standstill. We didn't... continue improving the intelligence of the system. And, you know, there's good reason because even now, I mean, 2008, that's, you know, a long time ago, 13 years ago, even today, our competitors still don't have a brain in their IVR. So our technology, even though it's 13 years old, is still ahead of the game. So there wasn't a lot of motivation for us to increase our the IQ of the system because that wasn't the sales bottleneck. The sales bottleneck was always, you know, 
how big is your data center? Do you have redundancy? Do you have HIPAA compliance? You know, and all, the, crazy, all of right? that. And that's actually the reason I exited the company because I found we were getting bogged down on, you know, that aspect of it and not able to move the technology forward. And that's why I started iGo.ai. And for five years, we had no customers that we could just, the team of 12 people, focus on, the, on moving the technology, taking it to the next level. So in iGo.ai now, we have a firm commitment and our investors behind it that not only are we developing the infrastructure and the customer and sales and you know, the commercial side of the business, but we are also continuing to move the technology forward. And that's a you know very firm commitment we have. So that that's kind of a regret that I wasn't able to build the company in a way that we could have done that in you know first time round. Yeah, and that's an interesting dilemma. It is a dilemma that I think is recognizable to a lot of people. At least it's recognizable to me. It's it's the ever always a balance about you know get the table stakes right Mm -hmm. and all the boxes that you need to tick in order to be able to deliver something. So sometimes this gets even this gets in the way. Even of companies yeah, and, that are actually buying it. Yeah, and then invest, you know, investors, if you have outside investors, more often than not, they say, hey, let's see some profits here. You know, let's, let's see, you know, we've got to focus on the business, you know, not on investing more in, in development. True. You know? True, yeah. That brings me to my next question, which is about the whole story around remarkable software businesses. I mean, I wrote a book about it, The Remarkable Effect. Mm-hmm. You've founded a couple of companies. What do you believe are the key traits that companies need to have in order to create something that people keep talking about? I don't know if I can generalize, but I can talk from my own experience. And to me, it's always been just a passion about what I'm doing about the product. It's never been primarily about, you know, money and profit. It's always been, I want to build the best possible product that I can, you know, that what drives me and gives me energy. And I think that's what has attracted the you know the the staff that I've had, and I think customers also recognize that. Now, I'm sure it's not the only way to be successful in business. I'm I'm sure you could also just go straight for growth and profitability by hook or by crook, you know. But that's not what works for me. You know, it's my own product and building that and being proud of it and and you know feeling that pride in in the company. I think that's really what what drives me and yeah, you know, I think you, uh, gets, gets you through the difficult times. Well, very well said. And I, I'm glad you said it. And I think you hit the nail on the head with using the word pride because that says it all. You know, It's what people come to work for and that's what they mm-hmm. go the extra mile for. And if customers notice that, they want to have more of it. And then mm-hmm. that profit will come. Yeah, right. But the moment you start taking, start focusing on the other end and you start taking the shortcuts, the end is in sight. So yeah, I'm a big believer of that as well. So I'm glad you're in that camp. So what are you most proud of seeing so far? I mean, are there any anecdotes from customers that that moved you? Oh, you know, many over the years, you know, of customers wanting to continue to use our system in, you know, in bigger and bigger ways and expanding it. And, you know, the testimonials we, we get from customers yeah, I mean, the satisfaction, but also, you know, the staff, the quality, the the product, you know, seeing sort of the next version of the product finished, all of these things, it isn't, you know, it isn't one thing. It's basically, it's, yeah. you know, on the product side, on the staff and the customer side to see that satisfaction and to, to keep moving forward. It's very easy for us, you know, for me to sort of see the momentum because it's not just in terms of you know, how many customers we have or what our revenue is, that's obviously a good measure. And when I, you know, originally when I took my company public, that was obviously an incredible high, you know, to actually list your company. Obviously had its problems as well, you know, (laughs) being a listed company and what what we learned doing that. But, you know, it's just really, you know, continuing to make our product better. And as I say, for us, we have a very clear path to get closer and closer to human level intelligence and we're a long way from that but we we know what we need to do well you mean you got examples in front of you you know people that we work with every single day and i think i like that north star right and that's something yeah to experiment against and something is sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but you get if you get closer that's of course we do yeah yeah so from the lessons that you learned and the tidbits of wisdom that you've gained over time, if you would give one advice in terms of a do and a don't to aspiring entrepreneurs, what would you say? Yeah, a couple of things. So 
interestingly, when I think back, probably my biggest regret is that I didn't start my first company earlier than I did. I started my first company at 25. And, you know, until you actually start your own company, that's when you learn what's involved, you know, and you really, it's just a totally different thing than working for somebody, you know, having your own company, being a partner. Now, it's not for everyone, of course, but I think if that's what you want to do, sooner the better. You know, you've, you know, you may fail a few times, you know, you may need to try different things, but it's learning how to do that. The second thing that I've found has really been extremely valuable is having good partners in business, you know. Again, maybe not for everyone. There probably are some people who, you know, really do better just by themselves. But I think having a partner in the business or more than one, one or two, you know, two or three people in that can work together, help each other and take care of different aspects of the business you know, having somebody to bounce ideas off, to share the burden and, and so on, I think is extremely valuable. But of course, it's a double-edged sword because if you get the wrong partner, then that can be, you know, can lead to big tears, you know, that can be very traumatic than having, having a divorce. But yeah, having a partner in business, I think is extremely, extremely valuable. It's interesting that VCs also kind of look for that, you know, not that I think VCs are necessarily the the answer to get your business going, but they can be. But I think there's a lot of wisdom in having more than one key person in the, in the company, you know, two or For three sure. people. For sure. Exactly. Yeah. There's all kind of risk involved with not having that. And I agree with that. So these are yeah, nice advice. Start earlier. I mean, I talk in my book about it as well. It's, it's about to start. And a lot of mm-hmm. times we think we're not ready for it. And we, we believe it's too early yeah. and the stars don't line up. But then they will never line up, you know, it's just get going right. with it. Right. And, you know, if you don't feel that you quite have it in you to start a company yourself, look to become a partner with somebody else who, you know, who has that motivation. If you have certain skills to contribute, you know, but right. yes, you have to take some risk and get in and say, yep, I'm willing to work for nothing or much reduced salary or something. But, you know, I want shares in the company. I want to be a partner in the company or at least a very senior employee, that may be a good way to start if you, you know, you don't have to necessarily be the leader, you know, in in that. But basically being an owner of a company, being a principal, co-founder or something. Yeah, the sooner you do it, the sooner you get experience in that and really know what it's like to have the responsibility for running a company. There's one other thing I, I forgot to mention that I moved to America 25 years ago and America is really quite different to many other countries in the regard of being able to raise money. Now, it's changing across the world. I mean, there are so many billionaires and so many sources of funding across the world. But I think America led the way that you can almost, something I I, did, I certainly didn't realize and didn't hadn't experienced it before. In America, you can raise unlimited amounts of money if you have the right idea. And that's sort of kind of weird in a way, you know, that, okay, you're a person, you may have, you may not be contributing money, you may not even have much of a technology. But if you have the right idea, and you can convince people that you can implement this idea, you can raise virtually unlimited amounts of of money. And that that's quite remarkable. Now, you know, that doesn't work in every kind of business. But I think one of the mistakes I made, or some of the things I had to learn, and it was very difficult for me in, in the early days of my first company to raise money. I went to the bank and wouldn't even give me a thousand dollars, you know, for my business. So I had to bootstrap and fund it my, you know, bootstrap the company and basically grow it through profitability because it was really hard to try and raise money. But, you know, today and in America in particular, that's very different. So it's something I had to change a mindset that, yeah, you, you can raise money, but you have to have the right story. True. That's what it's all about. It starts with the big idea, whether that's enticing enough and believable enough, but still stretched enough yeah, to do. Yeah, because yeah. often people say, oh, I can't start the business because I don't have enough capital, you know, and, and that's kind of, I guess, what I'm trying to address, you know. Yeah. If your knowledge, your experience and your idea are good enough, then 
that should be the least of your problems. There are plenty of people that have more money than they know what to do with, and they're just itching to find some place to invest it. And I've been fortunate enough to be in that position myself. You know, I said, okay, I've got this money lying in the bank and not earning any good interest. I'd love to invest it somewhere, but I need to find somebody who has a good idea and he can convince me, he or she can convince me that, you know, they have a reasonable shot at actually making a go of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well said. And I think that tells a lot and it opens up a lot of opportunity as well. And sometimes you forget about it. Mm -hmm. So what is next for you? Where do you want to take IGO in the next, well, let's say 12 months? Yeah, that's very easy for us. I mean, we are in the process of signing up and implementing more clients. So right now it's to solidify our base and to, you know, keep growing the company. We doubled our staff in the last 12 months and we expect to do that again. So we're really in a in a growth phase. We now have, you know, laid the foundations of our of our commercial company and or commercial enterprise. And it's really now accelerating growth. And as I say, we'll be focusing on both sides, both on building out our customer base and our infrastructure, but also to continue to increase the IQ of our, our system. Yeah. There you go again. It's the IQ, it's still, it needs to get better and better. I've seen some interesting stats, I think, in a TED Talk where, it's, where, where there was arguments, okay, currently it's at mouse level and then it goes to... Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. And then, but yeah, suddenly from, it, it, from, it from, just, Ray Kurtz, from Ray Kurzweil, so. yeah, right. Well, that's making the assumption that IQ limitations in AI are based purely on hardware cost. And I yeah, don't... True. I don't share that sentiment. I mean, there's obviously some relation to it. The more, more horsepower you have in your, in your computer, the easier it is to, you know, to build IQ. But it doesn't mean, I believe today we have enough computing power to have human level intelligence if we had the right software. So I don't think the hardware is even a limitation these days. But yes, you know, it obviously is continuing to grow and it will be some exponential growth because at a certain point, things become easier and easier as you have more of your intelligence infrastructure. Think of it as the set of skills you have. If, if the system has initially 10 skills that it can do, you can only use those Lego blocks of skills to you know, yeah. do stuff with it. But once you have 100 or 1,000 it really explodes exponentially of what we can do with that because True. they can work synergistically. They, they can work together synergistically. And, and then you can, you know, I, I believe accelerate the IQ, you know, development of, of that. At least that's the theory. But yeah, exactly. So, so far we haven't hit any real brick walls in continuing to make our system smarter. So we know what needs to be nice. done. We just need, you know, more people working on it. Yeah. Well, interesting. And I think it's indeed, that was the, the whole thing of the compute power. But of course, the, the system needs to be designed in the right way as well. And that's what you just, just told me. So if there's any way the audience of this podcast could help, what would be your big ask? To spread the word, to let more people know about a chatbot with a brain and how, how different it is. And, you know, ideally, we'd like, you know, enterprise clients to come to us and say, hey, I heard the story on the podcast or somebody told me about it. it sounds yeah. interesting. And that's, you know, how we got some of our, our best customers exactly that way, you know. So this sounds intriguing. This sounds different, you know. We tried to implement a chatbot and it hasn't worked out so well but a company needs it, you know. So having customers come to us with a real need is obviously a good starting point. Exactly. Well, I mean, also, I like the way you phrase it there, like a chatbot with a brain, because it is intriguing. And I think intrigue mm -hmm. just, just helps that conversation going. Mm -hmm. Very well done. So where can people go to find out more about IGO or to say hi to you? Yeah, so obviously igo.ai, aigo.ai. So we have a resource link there where I have a number of articles. We have demos. I've also written quite a few articles that are on medium.com under yep. my name, Peter Voss. Our website links to that as well. I've actually written quite a bit about ethics and free will, philosophy and futurism and, and things. And apart from our technology that, you know, the technology that we employ and intelligence and so on. Very nice. And that's also where they can connect to you? Or is that typically platforms like LinkedIn? Yes, I'm also you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. They can find me 
find right. me quite easily. So Perfect. Good. Well, thank you very much, Peter. This was a fascinating story. I like where this is going. I'm really interested and eager to, to see where we can start to experience this all in real life. But uh, well, good luck on the journey and uh, I'll keep following you. Well, Thanks. great. Thank you. Thanks for chatting with me. It was fun. Thank you. Okay. Absolutely. And this ends my conversation with Peter. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it's inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on the mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Peter Voss, founder, CEO, and chief scientist at iGo AI. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.